0: Welcome back to Talking Talmud. I'm Anne Gordon here with my friend and chavruta, Yerdaena Asband. Our daf of the day, Masach Yivamot, daf Ayin Dalit, page seventy-four. Part of page seventy-four on Ahmed anyway, is a discussion. You know, you know, learning out mitzvot and and halacha from the biblical text, and there is a focus on a additional word of me. from that. From that, and that whole discussion ends with you know, position represented by Reish Lakish or an apparent machuk or whatever between Rabbi Yochanan and Reish Lakish. And then we move on to the part that I want to talk about, Da'amar Reish Lakish. And the reason I mentioned all this preliminary is not that it's preliminary, it's important material in the daf, but because of this word Da'amar, like it's we're already in the conversation about Reish Lakish. Da'amar Reish Lakish, Amar Rabbi Samia, Minayin, Lamasar Sheni, Shinitma, Shemutar L'Sukho, so the question is, how do we know, meaning where do we learn it from, that when you have Maser Shani, again, that's the tithing that the person would eat in sanctity in Jerusalem, um, that the if that Maser Shani became impure, ritually impure, and it was Tame, then you can then use that same substance, right, to anoint one's body. Meaning, let's say it's your olives, right? Or in fact, your olive oil that you're going to have Shaini from, then then what can you do? What can you do with this oil? The claim here is that actually it's not even. How do we know that this is true? So it's already it's taken as a given that Masershani that has become ritually impure is allowed to use for anointing. Um, anointing, yeah, I, guess, I guess. You know, when you're not talking about anointing kings, I think that anointing was really part of the hygiene. Um, ritual or or regimen in days of yore when they didn't necessarily bathe every day, but they would, you know, whatever, fight off odor and so on with perfumes, which is really what anointing does. It's not really olive oil. The olive oil example is for kings. So the verse is, this same verse that has been discussed earlier on the daf, right? I did not give from it or of it, uh, for the dead. Lameit hu halachai natati. So what does that mean? Is that For the dead, I did not give of it, but for the living, in a similar way to the way that it is given for the dead, that's where I gave it. Again, what does it mean that I gave it? The verse, the the plain sense of the verse in, the, in its context of the Chumash, um, is not the focus here. Right? The focus really is to what extent do we use the term mimenu here to learn out other halachot. So the Mark explains, you know, what is it that you would have the living For example, that you could say that it's an equivalency between the way something is done in one's life and also in one's death. The thing that can be done similar, you know, in a similar manner, whether one is alive or dead, I suppose that it matters who is actually doing it, but is this anointing? Because you know, again, the, there is a certain measure of anointing that can be or is done for dead body, and so similarly, you know, for those who are alive. Marzutra does not like this. Matiflaras Marzutra, he objects to it. V'ema likakhlo aron meaning why would you not say that this verse, when you're saying Maybe it's not about anointing at all. Maybe it's about purchasing an aron, a coffin, or a tachrichim, that's shrouds, right? Maybe we're talking about dead is really, you know, the things that we do explicitly and, and pretty singularly for the dead. So what happens here is that after this discussion, right, of you know, this, what is this money? What can it be used for? Because again, we're talking about Master Shini. So you're talking about, can you, what can you do with that? Either the produce, let's say, or the money that the produce has been, um re- the, the sanctity of the produce has re- been redeemed upon. So you could go and you could purchase these things let's say, for the dead, akin to buying clothing, let's say for the living, right? Which is, again, we want there to be that parallel. Rav Huna, the son of Rav Yeshua says, Mimenu means it's benefit that is taken or derived from the masershini itself. He doesn't like this idea that we're talking about the rede- the redeemed um, value of the produce, but rather that it should be from the item, it- the item itself, the produce itself. Mimenu means meaning from it or of it. He of the goof of the of the body of the produce that was that was being treated for masershini. So Rav Ashi, Rav Ashi gives a different answer. He says what it says, lona tati, I did not give. So that is eat. Again, we're trying to have a comparison between what would be similar for, uh, dead, for the dead and for the living. And just as eating comes from the Master Shani itself, so too giving from the Master Shani also should be... I uh, mean the natati, the giving should be also from Masershini itself, which means then that when we say mimenu, when it says of it, right, with regard to Shini, each time it's used for a different way of of sussing out um different halachot. So, what interests me here, I think, is the range of the different halachot that that are being that we that are given attention here. You know, for example, I would never have thought, I would not think that, about this at all, that. And, I, and if you had asked me, I'm sure I would have guessed no and been wrong, right? That the that the Maser Sheni that has become, that is rendered impure could then be used in some way for the dead, right? I would think that, no, it, just because it's a Tame, it doesn't change the phenomenon of, of having Kedusha, that I would then think we would want to keep, keep away from that which is, you know, we want to keep it away from that which is Tame or we don't want to use it for any other purpose. And I'd be totally wrong. Meaning the way it's, cl- the the question here is how do we know that that's the halacha? It's very clear that that is the halacha, that you can use Masar Shei Nisha for the dead.
1: So I guess, Anne, my question to you is, do you think they really learned this from the Pesukim? Or do you think they had this Masora and now wanted to go back to the Pesukim to find something to tag it onto. I mean that's always the question on many of these types of discussions. I think that, but I feel like here it's it's a more appropriate. Right,
0: right. So, so I wonder whether they sat around saying what does Menu teach us and everybody has something suggestion for what who teaches us or whether they had the halacha, you know, this halacha about master Chini and then they said well, you know, cuz clearly that comes from that verse. Um, I, I don't have a clear, leader. a knee-jerk sense of which this is, um, but I, I kind of think that maybe the halakha was already in place, and then the question still is going to be, you know, how many different ways are we going to interpret Mimenu?
1: Right. I, I mean, I think that's what's interesting about this passage is that there's so many different interpretations of what Mimenu could mean. Um, which is a its a little different than sort of our typical of like one person says that, one person says this, then they each have to explain the halacha they learn, you know, differently, you know, from a different word. This, it's exactly like, right, and like you said it, like you almost picture them sitting around the baby Midrash and they're like, we have this word, what do you think it could mean? And then you get this variety of interpretation, but that variety of interpretation really could affect halacha masa.
0: Right, well, yeah, I mean, it affects the Last Lomasa, except for the way we see we haven't seen it in this passage, right? This passage is um, different ways of understanding it as opposed to different ways of practicing it. Right? It's I the think focus that's is
1: a great way to say it. It's different ways of okay. understanding it as opposed to different ways of practicing it. I like that. Um so I'm gonna move down to something on Amud Bet. And I wasn't really sure actually where in Amud Bet I wanted to read. Uh, because it's actually like a whole long passage that's all sort of centered around one particular discussion. But basically, they they take this pasuk in Vayikra, um, uh, chapter 22, verse four, and they learn from this pasuk that where it says, uh, you know, like ha kochim, that it has to refer to truma, basically. And that basically what this pasuk teaches us is that Tame Kohanim um, are not allowed to eat truma until they become tahor. And so the Gemara asks the following questions. What do you, you know, when it says in the pasuk, until he becomes purified, right? Does that mean until nightfall? Or maybe it means until he brings the, uh, the, the atonement offering that he needs to bring. In other words, very often when somebody is um, Tame, right, they have, there's two things that need to happen. They have to wait until nightfall, right? And then they need to also be, you know, which is basically, uh, you know, uh, like they, they've gone to the mikvah, they wait until night, but they have to wait until nightfall. But then they also need to bring the korban that is required. And so what this is basically asking is, Right? is that uh, for, you know, uh, for those types of people who are tame, but who are also going to have to bring um, a, uh, you know, a, a korban, and often that korban's not brought actually until the next day, what's the halakha? So in other words, is it that they're tahor by nightfall and then they can start eating truma? Or is that purification process not completed until they bring the korban the next morning, so then it's really not until nightfall, um, and this would be in a particular case with a zav and a mitzora, for example. Okay, so the Gemara basically answers, "Lo right? Don't let, don't think this. V'tana debe Rabbi because the tana taught in the house of Rabbi, in the academy of Rabbi Yisrael, muskar. So when we're talking about a zav who only had two emissions or a, uh, a a confined, you know, a, a confined uh uh mitzora, right? So this is a Mitsora who um is in a period uh, uh, of isa, you know who's basically in a period of isolation um where basically the the coin has to come back and recheck him right so it's not clear that he is going to be like a definite uh mitzora, right so um, so it says so this so what the Gemara is basically trying to explain here is is that the in in this particular pasuk of the zav and the mitzora who become tameh through contact with a dead body Tame nefesh. It what it teaches us is that when we talk about a zav and a mitzora, they're similar to somebody who becomes you know who gets tumah made nefesh tolav bar just as one who became you know contaminated. Through a dead body, does not have to bring this bar kapar, Doesn't have to bring this atonement offering. Ha, haninami kapar ninu. These two, also the zav and the mitzvah that we were talking about, also don't have to bring this uh, this atonement offering. So what this would mean then is that since the zav and the mitzvah that we're talking about in this particular verse don't require atonement offerings, right? What this what this Pasuk is basically treating teaching us is, is that they they can't eat truma um, until they undergo the purification process. But that only refers to going to the mikvah and waiting till night. It doesn't involve any 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 korban or anything like that. So then the Gemara goes on and says, v'amai, my honey bar kapara, right? But say that this law that we're establishing that is abnumitsora. Are basically only prohibited from eating truma until nightfall, only applies to the Zub of two emissions and this, you know, confined mitzora, not not a, not a, a definite mitzora who don't have to bring a korban, av de bar kapra. But the Zub who has to bring three, who has three emissions, and therefore that's in the a- category of Zub bring. who does have to bring a korban, and a uh, confirmed mitzora, right? They are ones who are bar kapara. Kapara. So they still, you haven't proved anything. Because in other words, the Pasuk or the way that they're trying to prove it is by using the example specifically of a Zav and a who don't have to bring a Korban. But the category of Zav and Mitsorah that do need to bring a Korban, right? You, maybe they really still are supposed to wait until the next morning. The toe, and even more so, Hatsna, we learned in the Mishnah, Taval Allah ochel Right, so here we're talking about a confirmed misorer on the seventh day of his when he's waiting, after he goes to the uh, after he goes to the to the mikveh right, and he comes out. He actually is allowed to eat maser sheni, ochel Truma. right, and therefore, and when his son is set, he then is allowed to eat truma, Hey um kapara ochel bekadim, and after he has brought his kapara, right after he's brought his korban then he can eat in kachim Menal-lan. Um, so where do I know these halachot from? So basically what it's saying is, is that we even have a Mishnah that apparently uh, is teaching us that maybe it actually is okay for him to eat it, right? And not only that, they want to know, like, how do they know that? Where did they learn this actually from? So Rava says the following, Amar so Rav, a Ravchisa. So Rava says the name Ravchisa, Tlatakrei Kative. There are three, basically, uh, you know, sort of uh, three uh, psukim here that we need to that we need to pay uh, pay attention to. Ketiv, right? The first one says, Okay, so this is a pasuk from Vayikra. It's chapter 22, verse 6. It's basically the the next three, the, these three psukim. Sorry, pasuk, vav, and chet, 6, 7, and 8. So six says, right, he shall not eat of the kachim, of the holies unless he immersed his body in water. Ha-rahats tahor. So this basically tells you that once he immersed himself, he's immediately pure. And he basically can eat any of the kachim that's even even before nightfall. Uktiv, right? And then in Pazuk Zayin it says, Bahar Yochel Then it says, and the sun shall set and he shall become pure. And thereafter he can eat from the kuchin, uktiv, and then the next pasuk says kohen and the kohen shall atone for her. Right, he's going to bring an atonement sacrifice for her, and she shall become pure. So this pasuk is referring actually to a woman who just gave birth, right? And what the pasukim is basically saying is the previous pasukim was talking about that the mother is tummy for seven days after giving birth to a boy. It's fourteen days for the birth of a girl. Um, And to become purified, she has to go to a mikvah. um, She actually waits a very lengthy period of time. It's 33 days for boys, 66 for girls. And then she brings up her sacrifices. But the point is, is that that initial immersion that she does takes away her primary tuma, right? Then she's basically a tibul yom until the night of the 40th or the 80th day. Because in other words, it's seven plus 33, or 14 plus 66. Um, and what these Pesukimur teaches us is that even after doing all of that, her purification is still not complete, and she still remains somewhat, she has some Tuma still on her until the coin actually brings uh, her uh, her Korban that she needs to bring, right? And that's when it finally says, that she actually becomes pure. So how could this be? How do we sort of understand all of these different psukim, because the first Pasuk seems to say that its full yom is purified and can he cut him? The second one says that its full yom cannot, right? But he can after nightfall, right? Can't just do it after they go to the mikvah. And the third one says that they're basically tummy until this korban is brought. So they're showing that even in the psukim, it's not clear how all of this works. There even seems to be a contradiction in the psukim. So kan la'master. So we must say that here the first verse is talking about becoming tahor for Maser Shaini. Kan Truma, the second verse, is talking about being tahor for Truma. And so that would mean the korban is not brought yet. So that's answering our original question, that you don't have to wait until the korban is brought for Truma. Kan le kadshin. And in the third verse, the Torah is talking about becoming tahor for any type of consecrated, uh, you know, for the kadshin, for the for the uh, more stringent, uh, Korbanos, right? And then the Gemara says, but But I could just reverse this as well. Why don't I say the first verse refers to Truma, the second one is Master Shaney? Like, I could just reverse the two. The Kachin one, they seem to really understand that that is going to be stricter and is going to fall under that third, uh, under that third Pasuk. So the Gemara answers, Mistava Truma Adifa. So what it's logical that basically Truma is going to be sort of of greater Kedusha. Uh, or it'll be stricter than Maser Sheini, Shekane, and then they have an acronym here, Mach-Paz, right? It, it's the mnemonic of, uh, of Mach-Paz, right? Which stands for Mitzah, Chomish, Pidjon, um, and uh, Zarem. Um, so I, I, I will not get into, well, I guess I could quickly, this is, uh, you know, get into it, but, but the idea is, is that there are four places where truma seems to be, uh, you know, not where it seems to be, but it, truma is uh, stricter um, than master shani, and they have a cute little uh, mnemonic where we can uh, where we can learn that from. Um, so basically, what it is is, is that um, mita right is that the mem is mita right that uh, that they you you're punished by death if you basically eat uh, if you eat uh, tr- if you eat truma in the wrong way right. Um, the chet is for um, chomesh, that a non priest who eats truma has to bring one fifth of its value. The pay is for pidgin, the truma you can't redeem, and the zarim is that it's prohibited to to non priests. But the point is is that these types of stringencies don't apply to maser sheni. So therefore, it has to be that the order is maser sheni truma and then Ad Rabba maser adipa. No, so then they say okay, maybe maser sheni actually is more. Is stricter than Tumah, and so then they have Shechayin, and now they have um, Hadas have... Tab, right? So what is Hadas Tab? It's 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 Hey dalit Samech uh, Tet Bet, right? So Master Masershini has to be brought Hava with the Hey, meaning it has to be brought to Yerushalayim. The Samech is is that it needs Vidoy. Uh, the Tet is right. Then when you bring it, you had to make this declaration with it. Um, the the Tet is. Uh, sorry, that was the dalit. Sorry, it was the Vidoy. Um, the samach is, is that it's it's a it um, uh to be eaten when you are actually in mourning. Um, and the Tet is that you can't eat it. Uh, it can't be burned uh, in a state of Tuma. We talked about that before. And the Bet is that it has to be removed beer from one's house before Pesach. So again, I, I don't want to spend so much time getting into this, but each of them have different Halachot of Master Shani and Truma, that doesn't apply to the other one. And so then finally, the Gemara answer is to Adifa. Even so, death, right, meaning death, Ali is the greater stringency. So the fact is, is that a Tame person who eats Truma is punishable by death on the hands of, uh, you know, by heaven, basically. And that's sort of like the ultimate stringency. So therefore, the order has to be Master Shani and Truma. Um, And therefore, it shows that Truma is actually of greater sanctity. Now, I'm not going to read the rest of this passage, but I, I think what's very clear from the original question of the Gemara and what they do with these psukim is that there's sort of this disconnect between when do you actually are allowed to eat some of these things, particularly Truma is a real question here, versus the process to actually become tahor from a variety of different types of Tuma, whether it's Zav, whether it's soer, whether it's Tuma Hamed, whether it's a woman who gave birth. And it's a question about what <coughs> to do if you need to bring a Korban in one of those cases. Um, the Gemara is then going to, uh, you know, go on to sort of play around with these Pesukim and say, no, maybe actually it's, it is Master Cheney's, the second one, instead of Truma, um, and then it's gonna, you know, it it, it it's it's uh, and then tries to play around with more that maybe one of the sukim actually plays to Truma and not to him. and it's gonna sort of like play around with all those things. But I think the question is what's really interesting because what it's talking about is the process of becoming pure, right? Of, of becoming tachor, and what is sort of the key component to it? Like, can we break down all of those steps? What's the connection between? the Korban and becoming tukor, because I can really see how, if you wait the the numbers of day you needed to wait, you went to the mikvah and that last day ends, if becoming tukor is sort of like a process of waiting for time and doing, why should it be connected to the Korban, right? Like, I actually think it's a great question. Um, on the other hand, we can make the other argument, which is, yeah, but the Korban is sort of like, the final act, right? Like you somehow got yourself into a state of impurity. Again, two men tower, I don't think is ju- judgmentally bad or good, right? But that's kind of like the final, it's like a conclusion. It's the concluding act to that process. But but I can see why it doesn't totally make sense because it's more process of waiting. It shouldn't really be connected to the Korban. And also because there are plenty of times where you can become tahor by waiting time and going to the mikvah and not even bringing a Korban. So there doesn't seem to be a consistency that you always need to bring a korban in order to become one.
0: Okay, um, I wanted just to note. I feel like there's another theme going on here, which I don't know if it's a theme, but in terms of procedure or something like that, we have the interplay of halacha and psukim, you know, the biblical verses and the laws that are derived from them or appended to them or whatever, um, on both. In both of these passages, both what I read, what you talk about now, it's kind of throughout the Daf, And we don't see that all the time. That that investigation, certainly from the mission, we always want to know, you know, where do you get this from? Where where did they get the where did the Tanayim get it from? Ask the Amorayim. But this, when we're already like in the thick of it, it's not so it's not so common to say, how do you know this halacha is from which Pesukim type of thing?
1: So I want to say something radical that just popped into my head. <laughs> You know, by the time the Gemara is writing this, they are not keeping these laws of Tumantara anymore. And I wonder, therefore, almost in a way, either because some of the practice around it is lost or in a way to sort of preserve its importance, there's a lot of discussion around relating the halakha to psukim, as opposed to other areas of halakha, which are mentioned in the Torah. But we don't see as detailed of a reading of the psukim. Like, there's no me menu read, right? Like, what exactly does this word mean? How exactly does it apply to our, to to the halacha? I don't, I don't know. It's a thought that just came into my head. I have no. Well, proof I'm, of gonna, it. just, I'm gonna. I'm gonna. I've wondering.
0: said this before. I'm, I've said this before. I'm gonna. I have noticed. I think we all have noticed that there's a great deal of. um, Halacha, material ideas, everything that appears in the Gemara—at least, you know, certainly since I don't know when, since since the beginning, pretty much, right? Not exactly, because different Masach don't focus on different things, and we had a big chunk of erev fine. But there's a lot of halacha here that is pertaining to the to the temple, right, to the Beit Hamikdash. Some of some of it, the Karbanot, right, and Tara Some of it is. The Kohanim and the particular role the Kohanim play in all of these relationships, right? Which we still have details in play by Kohanim, but not to the same degree and not to the same practical, you know, very significant difference. true under what circumstances, type thing, right? I it would hazard a guess. I was that for saying it slightly re- gentler, but still, that is you know, includes this component of, you know, not only developing halacha and making sure that everybody knows what the halacha is in all the, for all the generations generations. going forward, but also very much strengthening or keeping that tie to that which is no longer, even in the time of Chazal, um, that it's so pronounced throughout Shas, I have the feeling that it's for the same kind of reason, that it's keeping it, you know, preserving it being paying attention to it making it making sure that it has the importance that it would have had in the time that you know that the temple was uh you know was standing i know that there have been different times maybe in where we talked about it's for that time that they don't have here i don't feel that way i maybe because it's so many ins and outs of the details of the halacha but it seems still very important to make sure that all of those details of halacha of, of these halakhot in general are incorporated into these DAP.
1: That's our DAP discussion for the day. Rank is reviews on all major podcasts. Thank you to Revenue Michelle Farber for hosting us on the Hadrum website. Let us know what you thought about this DAP in our talking Talmud Facebook page. And until tomorrow, go and learn. <laughs>